Thanks for tuning in to 210 Local Media Podcast. This is Mario Zamron. I'm your host. This is episode number 36, and uh, I bring you Alamo City Comic Con 2014. Um, we're now at the end of January as I'm recording this, so it's been a few months. I believe it was uh, in towards the end of October that we had the Comic Con, and uh, it was amazing. Just for those who did not get to go, you need to try to make it out there in 2015. Um, they're really stepping it up at Alamo City Comic Con. Um, Apple, uh, the guy behind it all, has already also launched a an Alamo City film festival uh, that we'll be hearing more about moving forward. And uh, lots of things are, are coming, really. Uh, I believe I read somewhere that Alamo City Comic Con was the third largest con in the U.S. for 2014. Um, for being in their second year, guys, that's pretty darn awesome. So congratulations to them. Big shout out to the folks at Alamo City Comic Con and uh, everybody that is able to make that possible. Apple and his team, as well as all the celebrities and artists uh, that were able to make it out there. And of course, to all of you that were able to make it out there. I mean, if you guys don't buy tickets, they don't sell tickets. So, you know, it's a, it's a, a cycle. It's a good cycle. So as long as we keep buying tickets and more of us keep buying tickets, then it'll get bigger and bigger. Um, I'm really excited to see what they've got in store for 2015, and um, who knows? Who knows what the future holds? But uh, this episode is primarily, uh, we've got a couple of interviews with Casas Inc., and uh, we've also got an interview with Beanpot Toys. Uh, those are on uh, my YouTube channel. I'll post that link in the show notes as well at the uh, on the website, and so... If you're looking at this on iTunes, if you tap on the icon, then it'll flip over and it'll give you the show notes, and you can scroll through there, and the link will be there as well. I'm working on getting it set up on my own, but I've got like three YouTube channels, uh, three YouTube profiles, that is. So I'm trying to get everything in one spot. So it might take a little while. Hopefully it'll be done by the time this episode comes out. Um, Aside from the two interviews, I've also got a couple of panels. I believe I've got... Uh, George T- George Takai, George Takay, however he pronounces it, I've heard both uh, talking about mostly his trip to San Antonio, as well as uh, some of some of uh, his documentary film that's coming out, or that has already shown. Actually, I believe it's already shown um, about his time in internment camps and just the the turmoil that Japanese Americans went through following the events of Pearl Harbor. Uh, We've also got a recording from Stan Lee, the wonderful, amazing, great Stan Lee. Um, The more and more I hear this guy talk, I mean, it's just funny. He's he's an older guy, for those of you who aren't too familiar with him. He's he's the man behind Marvel right now. I don't think he's president or anything. I think he's more of a figurehead, but I'm sure he's still connected in some ways, at the very least financially. Um, So he's banking. But every time I hear him talk, it's it's funny, but he's very cordial. Um, he he plays a character, really. I mean, he's always saying his favorite person is his favorite fan is or his number one fan is himself. Um, but you just got you just got to hear him. Great speaker, really funny guy. Um, and then I believe I've also got some weird science in there. I'm hoping, if not, I'll cut this portion. And. Um, Really hope you guys enjoy episode number 36, Alamo City Comic Con 2014. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Take care. 
So I pretty much start off every single interview with who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Grego, uh, Greg Hernandez, and uh, we own Beanpot Toys. Awesome. We're a, a small family-based company. My wife's in there, <laughs> and this is my daughter, and uh, we do it for the love of toys and love of art. Yeah? Yeah. So how long have you been doing doing We it in have general? been doing Beanpot Toys for uh, roughly eight, seven to eight years. Yeah? Seven to eight years, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So what got you into it? Have you always uh, been kind well, of Well, I have been always been collecting eclectic, different kind of stuff. Yeah. And then when my daughter was in high school, we were always there at school doing this, doing that. Yeah. And when she got out, you know, we had accumulated so much stuff. We started selling it off. People got a good response from it. So then we, you know, turned our, my contacts into business contacts yeah. and went from there, you know. That's great. And we get to go out, travel a little bit, get to meet people. And, you know, I get a little bit of toys and then yeah. I spread a little bit of toys out. And it's good. It's good. We've been doing, like I said, for about 78 years. Uh, and we're different. Uh, we, yeah. we, we stick out, we still stick out, yeah. which is great. You know? uh, I don't see very many of what you have anywhere right. else. Other people have maybe one or two. Right. I've got a good mixture. 500 different pieces, you know, so. Yeah, and then Caleb was letting me know earlier that you guys have another booth set up as well. Yeah, for we, we're, starting to, we're starting to uh, get into the art, more art, more customizing aspect. Right. And that's called being creative, being creative, something that yeah. we thought about at a show. Uh, one day and so I was like, ah, that's a great idea. So we work with local artists or even out-of-towners uh, We work with Brian Collins. Um, he goes by the color chemist okay. uh, uh, Denise Vasquez, she's in California. Jason Chalker in in, oh, wow. uh, in Dallas um, uh, Joe skills, you know a number of artists and right yeah. now I've got a local guy here from San Antonio uh, uh, Edgar Gonzalez Gomez and goes by Hugh Dawes. He does yeah. customs nice guy so i mean it for us it's we love to collect we love mm -hmm. cool toys and then you know it helps and them it helps way us to get in yeah too. you know yeah, yeah. it Absolutely. helps them it helps us again it's about the love of the toy and we don't like we're not big mainstream we, we're off the beaten path so right. that's what we like you know? yeah. that's what we like and we tend to have a good response for it so. that's good that's good yeah i think you guys have a great niche yeah so and yeah, Kayla, yeah. i know i've seen you at a, at a few uh at monster Con, we were saying earlier um, so the whole family goes. The goes whole family. Here. It's a family. It's a family thing, you know. Yeah. We we'd love to do a, a storefront, but if we did that, I'd like to have like a little gallery. I'd like to live there, mm. you know, overhead stuff. You know, I'm I'm yeah. cheap. You know, I'm frugal. <laughs> so you know, I'd love to have a gallery slamming Saturdays. Right. You know, it'd have to be an all-in-one store for us. But right now, we're uh, we're show to show. And maybe a little, little, a little bit of online. You know, hey, I was at your show. I saw this. Right. With no e-commerce at this point, but you know, I'm just a simple caveman. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. I think a storefront would be something cool. I, something I that San Antonio. Could, would you stay in San Antonio? If you oh had yeah, storefront? most definitely. Most yeah. definitely. This is where I grew up. It's where I was raised. You yeah. know. In fact, we're trying to put together. Um, I know Art Slam. My friend Rob was. Uh, you know, he left the country. Kind of shut that show down. But I'm talking to a couple of people that maybe we do our own uh, yeah. art vinyl show, not necessarily an art slam, but a yeah. customizing show would be great. You know? Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Have yeah. You, I know the new space, well, not new space, I guess the rebranding of uh, the White Rabbit might lend itself to something like that too. There maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. you know, it just, you know, I've, there's a lots of things to get together, you know. I've, oh, yeah. But venues is the last thing really, but maybe that area or. Or Southtown, you know the mm -hmm. the arts district, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a there again. I gotta find good people to work with. I can get the toys, 
all that other stuff is something different that I'd have to trust other people with, right. you know, so, but yeah, right. I'm, I'm just a toy nerd, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, who isn't, right? Uh, there you go. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your hey, time. Well, I thanks, appreciate it. Thank you. Nice I to meet appreciate you officially. It. And uh, like us on Facebook, Beef yes. by Toys. Oh, yes, yeah, yes. And what, right. uh, do you have a website yet, or is it all uh, just Facebook? Beefbytoys.com. Okay, yeah. cool. And then I follow you guys on Instagram as well. Oh, yeah. Well, so that's, that's her. Like I said, I'm just a kid, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk to your social media there you go. expert here, Kayla. Hello. Good to 210 Local Music yeah. Podcast. Yeah. Woo. So uh, did you kind of get your dad to go into the social media aspect? Um, Was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a huge way to get your brand out yeah. to the masses, right? And people are all about trending topics mm-hmm. on Twitter and Instagram. So we really built up our brand and our company within San Antonio and within Texas um, using social media tools like Facebook right. and, and even Tumblr. We had a blog post going for a while. Oh, and, wow. okay. and so um, that's how we do interviews with artists sometimes, you yeah. know, we're featuring two artists for Alamo City Comic Con this weekend. Oh, nice. Um, nice. So it, actually I found one of the artists on Instagram and we wow. kind of communicated back and forth and then my dad brought him in as yeah. one of our featured artists to sell his toys here. That's cool, that's so, awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll probably head over to that booth a little bit Definitely. later too. But so whose idea was was the name? Oh my gosh, oh, Beanpot Toys, yeah. yeah. The name and, came and the from, the name came from, uh, like I said, when Kelly was in school, we were always busy, always yeah. doing this, doing that, cliche, too many beans in the pot. Um, and then <laughs> there's a little face, if you'll notice, there's a little face on the can of ranch style beans and yeah. that reminded me of my dad when he was younger oh yeah and so when he passed away i put that on my back i got a tattoo of it on my back oh nice and then just you know bean pot toy. and i love beans yeah you know <laughs> yeah and you know ranch style beans everyone kind of recognizes oh, yeah. that in the south so um this mascot actually was created by one of our loyal customers yeah. randomly oh, nice. showed up at a show and was like look we created this huge mascot for oh, you wow. and yeah, it was completely, yeah. Totally blew us away. Totally surprise. Awesome. And that means you guys are doing something right. If you've got I guess people so. that yeah. are that dedicated. You know, we try, we try to be fan base. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, something you learn in second second grade, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah, yeah. we're all about just having a good time and getting people into this new type of art that might not be familiar to everybody. Right. It's starting to. I think it's starting to Yeah, it, it's an underground movement, but it's becoming more popular in the mainstream, right. you know, so, right. um, yeah. So after going to all the cons, how does San Antonio rank against all the other cons that you guys have been to? Uh, surprisingly, it's getting a huge huge response from San Antonio. I mean, there's the Dallas Comic Con and Comic Palooza in Houston. And of course, you know, everyone knows about San Diego Comic Con, but for the second year at Alamo City, this is a great turnout as far as people coming through and then the stars, you know, the caliber celebrities they got to come to the show. So it's only getting bigger and better and more exciting every year. Cool. Hope the best for you guys moving yeah. forward with that well, as well. Thank you very thank much. You very and we'll much. definitely keep up with you. Yeah, of yes. course. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank Thanks, you very much, Mario. Guys. Thank you again. All right, yeah. all right. Thanks. Okay, so we're at the Alamo City Comic Convention. Uh, this is 2014. And uh, I start off every interview with pretty much who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Aaron Casas, and I am the owner of Casas Inc., a uh, surreal and tattoo inspired apparel company. Very cool, very cool. We got some designs right behind us. Yes, some of sir. these are newer ones because I know I hadn't seen them. Yes, sir. Those two recently. are our newest ones. Um, that is the Devil's Mistress, and this one right here is our uh, the Devil Hound. 
Nice. They're so, all limited edition. We only print 150 of each. Once I'm out, I move on to new designs. Nice. Which is why I see plenty of designs. That's awesome. Oh yeah, man. for sure. So I gotta, I gotta ask, where do these ideas from the designs come from? Because I, I follow you guys on Facebook and yeah. Instagram and Twitter. Um, where does this? Does it all just in it's, there? It's brewing in my brain. Um, yeah. I'm really a surrealist. That's really where I started. Um, I recently uh, started a tattoo apprenticeship, so oh, a lot of the nice. tattoo theme stuff is just geared from the tattoo community. So right. that's why you're seeing a lot of the tattoo theme stuff. So yeah, that's cool, man. It's really awesome. Man. They all start from sketches, though. But once I do the sketch and I'm happy with it, they go to um, I scan them, finish off in the computer. Nice, nice. Yeah. And you're a local San Antonio yes, artist. Yes, born and raised. Born and raised. Born nice. And raised. All right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, and how long have you been doing Casa Zing? Uh, has been around uh, for a year now. Nice. September will be a year. Nice. Yeah, so we're still fairly new, but we're getting out there. People well, are hey, recognizing. For you to have a booth at, a, at the Comic Con, I mean, that's pretty pretty good for somebody new. Yeah, for sure, man. So. Uh, we're excited to be here. You know, we try to do as many events we can as possible yeah. in San Antonio, Austin, and whatnot. Uh, we haven't ventured into Dallas yet, but maybe yeah. one day. It's a little bit further than Austin, so. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, who knows? Next after that, San Diego Comic Con, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Sky's the limit. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. And let's talk about a couple of uh, a couple of your designs here. For sure. Let's talk about uh, the Devil's Mistress first of all. Devil's Mistress. Um, man, um, since Halloween's right around the corner, that's what kind of inspired these two designs. Um, yeah. You know, Devil Hound, Devil's Mistress. This is kind of the Devil's uh, right hand. So, yeah. uh, but with all of the Halloween and spirit, you know, that's why I kind of went with the, the scary theme and whatnot. So. Nice. Nice. That's kind of inspired that. And then one of my favorites, the squid. A squid, uh, of the course. Squid theme. Um, this guy is our is our mascot. Uh, my last name is Casas. Name of the company is Casas Inc. Mm-hmm. Of course, Casas means houses in Spanish. Right. Squid squared out Inc. There you go. House squid, but we <laughs> we call him the sea monster. So <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Aaron. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Um, where can we it. find you online? Uh, www.casasinc.com, or you can find me on Facebook, Facebook slash Casas Inc., or uh, Instagram and Twitter is uh, Casas underscore Inc. Nice. Right. Nice. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Appreciate man. It. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Take care. Let me tell you about the plane trip coming in. We left Los Angeles in beautiful golden sunshine. We started flying, and I was reading a newspaper, and I looked at the weather report, and it said thunderstorms in San Antonio. And I told Brad sitting next to me, we can expect thunderstorms on our landing. And he said, moo. <laughs> I uh, have a touch of cold. And when you're flying, it's not a good idea to combine uh, a cold with that. But they tell me that the best antidote is to keep sipping hot tea. It's good for jet lag, and it's good for washing out the cold germs. And so I kept sipping throughout the flight. And it, I, I thought, well, it's only a two and a half hour flight. You know, we were in the front row, and this plane, a small plane, has the restroom at the very tail end of the plane. And I didn't want to go, you know, uh, winding down the uh, corridor to go to the bathroom. So I, I said, I'll hold it until we land. I kept sipping. I have a cold. I don't like jet lag. I kept sli- uh, sitting. 
and oh, that's better. We're wireless now. Do you do you hear me better? No. Shall I get back on the wire? Am I fine here? Oh, good, good. So I kept sipping. And then we were getting ready to land. And I thought, well, yes, I'm getting quite uh, well hydrated. Thank God we're landing. I'll go when we land. And I looked out, and sure enough, all clouds. And uh, then the captain announced that there is a thunderstorm going on in San Antonio. I gave Brad a, 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 my album there. And he said, yeah, you're, you're right. And then he said, because of the thunderstorm, we're not going to be able to land there in, uh, in San Antonio. And so we're going to land in Austin instead. <laughs> but we only have about 10 minutes worth of fuel left. So we're going to go there real quick. <laughs> However, he said, because of uh, the fact that we're not going to be landing in San Antonio, uh, we're going to uh, keep the uh, the uh, uh, seatbelts off, so those who need to go to the restroom, you can go now, before we land in Austin. And so I thought, well, I'm not gonna last until Austin. I better go. And I got up and started going down that long, long, narrow corridor. And then it started to get bumpy. <laughs> and I, I thought, oh, I really gotta hold it this time. <laughs> And I wended my way down, and a few people sitting there recognized me, and they smiled and nodded, and I said, <laughs> I got to the restroom, and it says, Ocupado. Yo hablo español. No entiendo. I stood there, you know, uh, I, it wasn't because of the, uh, the uh, urgency, it was because of the bumpy plane, but I was there like this, waiting for the uh, ocupado to disappear. And the lady who was seated there said, that woman's been in there for five minutes. And I thought, well, if that's so, I, I better, uh, I better not uh, 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 keep standing here. I think I can hold it. And I went wending all the way back. And uh, then the, um, uh, uh, the captain announced, we are in luck, there, we found an opening, we're going to land in San Antonio. <laughs> However, we're going to have to circle a little bit, we have nine minutes of fuel left, and uh, so those of you that would need to go, so I, I thought, well, I asked the flight attendant, is, uh, can, can something uh, up front tell me whether the uh, restroom is occupied or not? And uh, she said, oh, it's open now. And so I went wending my way through down the uh, uh, aisle again and got there. And thank God, I got in the restroom, closed the door, and I was getting relief. When all of a sudden, I felt like I was riding on a rodeo bronc. <laughs> Have you seen um, a Pollock painting? 
your seats and buckle up because we're landing. So I again, you know, I, I was about three quarters through. <laughs> so I quit and I hurried back to my uh, seat and buckled in. And I told the flight attendant, will you relay my message to the cleaner when we land? I apologize. <laughs> I can't tell you how grateful I am to be here in San Antonio. <laughs> I love my tea. So I, it really is good to be here on a Sunday morning with you. Uh, the early birds at 1210. Thank you for joining me. I see a sea of empty, empty seats over there, and we actors don't like that. But I can tell you that I am headed for a theater where we're not going to have any empty seats. Woo! Yes, allegiance, you know about that. We still don't know which theater yet. Well, we were a great big hit in San Diego when we opened. This is a musical we uh, developed over a three-year period. Uh, as a matter of fact, we recorded the process of the development of the musical Allegiance. It's based on my childhood imprisonment in U.S. internment camps. It's one of the shameful chapters of, of American history when innocent American citizens who happened to be of Japanese ancestry were summarily rounded up and put in barbed wire prison camps simply because we happen to look like the people that bombed Pearl Harbor. 120,000 Japanese Americans. It's an uh, important story of American history where our Constitution was egregiously violated. But so many Americans don't know about this. And so we developed this musical. We opened in San Diego at the uh, distinguished um, Old Globe Theater. And um, because my social media campaign had uh, developed an audience for Allegiance, we were from the very beginning sold out. In fact, the entire run turned out to be a sold out. Thank you very much. And how many of you have seen Allegiance yet? Not, no one in Texas. Because it was in uh, San Diego. You have seen it. Well, bless your heart. Get the word to all these Texans here. Or there are non Texans here as well. How, how many are non Texans? Well, welcome to Texas and San Antonio, where one can be with comfort. Well, uh, it opened in San Diego to a sold-out run, and the um, Old Globe Theater did something that they hardly ever do because they, they are a repertory house. They extended our run another week, and because of that, we wound up breaking their 77-year record for both box office and attendance. And we topped it off by winning the Best Musical of the, of the Year Award from the San Diego Critics Circle. And so that, I thought transferring to Broadway was going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> Not so. Every theater on Broadway has been 
Bhutta. And, oh, time remaining. 32 minutes. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, has been booked up. So uh, we, we had to get in line with other productions, waiting for a theater to open up. We've been waiting for a year and a half, and uh, I think we are going to be able to get into a theater uh, before uh, the winter is out. And so we'll be opening it. It is a very frustrating thing to wait for a theater uh, to be uh, open for us. And in our frustration, our producer came up with a great idea. As a matter of fact, our producer is uh, a, graduate, a graduate of the University of Texas in uh, Austin. He came up with, a, up with a great idea. We don't have a theater ticket yet. I mean, theater yet, so we can't st uh, sell start. Uh, we can't start selling uh, tickets. However, what he's come up with is the idea of a priority access pass, which means that before the tickets go on sale to the public, those people who buy this priority access pass have have uh, free access to a pair of seats for any performance, any time, matinee or, or uh, evening, any day, you have first dibs of the seats that you want. You pay $5 for this access, and in, in addition to that, you get a free download of uh, the cast album, and the music is glorious, and some are hilarious. And, uh, We've already sold about 13,000 of those uh, priority access packs. That's That means 23,000, uh, 26,000 seats already sold. And so the mass of you Texans here and the uh, uh, people who came from other places, you have access to seats before anybody else gets to buy seats. So uh, go to... Uh, AllegianceMusical.com and get your priority access and uh, and start saving for your trip to New York City and spring vacation in New York, topped off with Allegiance. So uh, that's the commercial part. Now, let's open it up to a, a conversation with all of you. Uh, any thoughts you may have, any uh, complaints you may have, any questions you may have. Uh, have they set up a mic someplace? Oh, there it is. There's a mic. And is there another one on this side? There are three. Great. Well, let's start from... Uh, are you standing at a mic? Okay, let's start with you. Well, George, I just wanted to say that you're an awesome ambassador for the gay community, the Japanese community, and all of us Howard Stern fans who have wrestler in college and it's Sunday, I'm just saying, oh my. And, uh, also, you can tell us, oh yes. <laughs> and also, you can tell us, you know, any of your um, little stories, you know, Georgie and all that stuff.
stuff. It's just so funny to the Stern fans. We love you. So any Bill story you want to share, I'm sure everybody would love it. Well, those of you who want to visually experience our dear uncle, Bill, uh, we have a documentary out now called To Be To Cake. It was awesome. Oh, you've seen it already. <laughs> and uh, the unique thing about this documentary is all of the surviving cast from the original Star Trek is there with us. You know, one of the great gifts from uh, Star Trek has been the fact that uh, my work colleagues have become very good personal friends. Uh, Nichelle and uh, Walter were here yesterday. They happened to be, uh, Walter happened to be the uh, best man at our wedding when I, I got married to Brad. We just celebrated our sixth anniversary. Illegal, <laughs> but we've been living in sin. Twenty-seven years together, but our uh, work colleagues have become our personal friends as well. Uh, Walter was our best man. And we asked Michelle uh, to be our best, uh, or our matron of honor. And Michelle said, I am not a matron. <laughs> if Walter can be the best man, why can't I be the best lady? <laughs> we said, you're absolutely right. And she was our best lady. And we sent, because we have uh, our Star Trek friends uh, on our wedding party, we sent invitations to every cast member uh, uh, on Star We wanted to be inclusive. And the only one that did not RSVP was, you know, who? <laughs> but we thought that's typical of Bill. He never RSVP for anything that we do. Parties or... A celebration of somebody getting a star on the top of a walk of fame. So we said, that's, that's all right, Bill's not uh, coming. Well, and we got married, we had a wonderful uh, uh, wedding ceremony and uh, party at the Japanese American National Museum, which we founded. And uh, we, we were two months married when there on YouTube was Bill Shatner ranting and raving that he never got an invitation to our wedding. Two months after, we were absolutely baffled. If he wanted to come, then he could have phoned us before the wedding. We never got a phone call. And we were you know, just confused by that. But then, Brad and I were driving down Sunset Boulevard, and there was a great big billboard there advertising William Shatner's new talk show, Honors. I said to Brad, that's why he made a big fuss about not getting an invitation to our wedding. You can put out a press release saying I've got a new talk show, but that's pretty perfunctory, that's de rigueur. If you have a controversy, then you get some attention. That's why he made that fuss. 
and, but, and we pointed out, you know, when the press came to ask us about uh, the, uh, the uh, not getting the invitation, we said we did three seasons on TV together, we did six movies together, we do conventions still today together. Uh, you know, Bill knows me, but <coughs> Bill feels that he can psychoanalyze me I, and he did that on YouTube too, and uh, complain about not getting an invitation, and still claim that he doesn't know me. Those of you that, that have seen the, uh, the uh, uh, documentary, you know how he <laughs> behaved on that. Everybody was there uh, with wonderful comments, and uh, all he says is, I don't know George. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle had a wonderful reaction to that. <laughs> so, you know, what, what I feel about my Star Trek colleagues is we are a family. And we get together periodically like this. But whenever you have a family get-together, like most families, many families, you have that weird, eccentric uncle show. <laughs> and we have our Uncle Bill. <laughs> and so last year, uh, you were on a show called Fangasm. Well, you got on for an episode of it. A show what? Called Fangasm, where you came into a house, you met seven members that were auditioning for a chance to meet a well, to work for Stanley. You met one guy named Andrew who came up to you and just kind of like started rubbing your face. What was your reaction to that? Like, how did you feel when that happened? It was, in some ways, a familiar feeling. Because the first person who did something like that was, um, I was in the makeup table one morning uh, when we were filming Star Trek V. Um, what was that called? I've forgotten the title. <laughs> Final Frontier. I think maybe it's because it was being directed by a certain director. <laughs> I was in the makeup chair and Bill came up to me smiling. Very rare. <laughs> and I felt, I came up from behind, and I felt this hand on my cheek. <laughs> and then he came forward, and he said, Georgie. No one calls me Georgie. My mother never called me Georgie. Georgie, we have this beautiful scene. I said, yeah, I studied my script. I know. It's all right. Well, this is what I want you to do. And my, he kept rubbing my face. It reminded me of that. Again, thanks again for coming to San Antonio. We all appreciate it. This is not a question, but I just want to compliment of all the stars and uh, people I had connected through 
Facebook. I think your Facebook page is the funniest, wittiest. Dead hilarious. Thank God you're alive. <laughs> Don't do that too often. You might get pretty sick. <laughs> Back over this way. Uh, to piggyback on his question about social media, what prompted you to, to take such an active role in Facebook with, with both the humor and the activism that you, that you dispense? Well, uh, as I said, we were developing this musical on the internment of Japanese Americans. It's surprising to me that there are so many people that still uh, don't know about the internment. I mean, people that seem otherwise well-informed, educated people. When I tell them that I grew up behind barbed wire fences, U.S. barbed wire fences, they, they, they are aghast. You mean, it was in the United States? And I said, well, I was imprisoned in one uh, a camp in the swamps of Arkansas, and another one on the uh, uh, northern border of California with Oregon. And they are absolutely astounded that something like that happened. And here we were, putting our passion, our energy, our talent, and our money into a project that very few Americans know anything about. And we want it to be a commercial success. So I had a challenge. One, I had to uh, raise the awareness of Americans on the internet. And number two, once they're uh, uh, aware of that, are informed on the internet, to uh, let them know that we've developed a musical on it. And then, number three, to de uh, develop them into potential enthusiastic anxious ticket buyers. And I thought the best way to do that is social media. But my fan base at that time was a, a small base made up essentially of sci-fi geeks and nerds. But I had to grow that. And so by trial and error, and I, I tried a lot of things, but I found that the, the uh, Memes that got the most likes and shares were either the cat memes or the funny memes. And the cat memes are, are also funny. So it's the funnies that got the most likes and shares. So I started doing a lot of that to grow the audience. And once the audience grew a little larger, then I started injecting some uh, observations I have on uh, social justice issues. And I talked about LGBT equality, and then I talked about uh, uh, campaign finance reform, and then I introduced the subject of the internment of Japanese Americans. And once the people were informed, then we started sharing a little bit of uh, the, the musical, and then a little bit of the songs from the musical. So, the reason I started uh, social media to the extent that I did was essentially to build an audience for allegiance. And it worked. We had a sold out run in San Diego and we already have 26,000 seats in a house, a house that we don't know where it is in New York City, but definitely on Broadway. So uh, 
uh, it was Allegiance that got me involved on the social media. Different movies and TV shows besides Star Trek. What was your favorite? Which one did you enjoy the most? I gotta say, the one that I enjoyed the most uh, was in 1974. It was a play I did in New York called Year of the Dragon. It has nothing to do with that uh, Chimino movie, Year of the Dragon, at all. It's, uh, it was written by a Chinese American uh, playwright about a Chinese-American family in Chinatown, San Francisco. And it's about this son's conflict with his father and his frustration trying to get out of uh, the ghetto of Chinatown. Uh, I was able, for the first time, to use my own uh, experience as an Asian-American into a role that uh, I, I was creating. And uh, after the New York run, we uh, had that uh, film for television uh, in the uh, PBS Theater in America series. So some of you may have seen it. It's rarely uh, being aired, but you might be able to find it uh, somewhere now because there's such a plethora of uh, programs that uh, are accessible. Uh, the year of that, the title of that, uh, uh, that's drama, not, not a musical. The title of that drama is uh, called uh, Year of the Dragon, uh, written by Frank Chin. Thank you. Hey, um, uh, first off, I'd like to say it's, uh, it's I'm sure you've heard it many times before, but it's an honor um, to be speaking to you and to ask you a question. Um, it truly means a lot to each one of us individuals to be able to say thank you for helping the LGBT community, um, for spreading a lot of Asian uh, community awareness and a lot of those things, so just thank you. Um, my question is, uh, what is your perspective on uh, LGBT themes uh, in sci-fi and how has it changed like, over, over time? How have you seen that kind of play out? Well, the theme of LGBT was non-existent. Uh, certainly when uh, uh, Star Trek came on back in 66. And as society changes, uh, our culture starts reflecting that. Oh, we have what's called a high-tech book. <laughs> I'm told that my time is up. Right in <laughs> I'll just finish that. Um, um, I lost my, the hook just got me. Uh, oh, it just came on again. 13 minutes remaining. Are you sure? Technology, isn't that grand? This is so much more polite than, you know, what they used to do in the old Bobville days when they literally had a hook and when a comedian was on too long, it came out and yanked you off the stage. Oh, it's gone. Oh, it's 12 minutes now. Uh, where was I? We're talking about LGBT and the 
Yeah, LGBT things in sci-fi. Oh, in sci-fi. Well, uh, society is uh, changing. You know, first of all, we got rid of uh, uh, don't ask, don't tell. Proudly in the military. You know, there was a time when uh, you can defend our country, fight heroically on a battlefield, but when they find out you're gay, you're fired in the most humiliating, degrading way. Every title taken from you, and you're left without a job that you enjoy doing. It's, it's, it was uh, ridiculous, outrageous, and a, 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 a blot on uh, American society. So we got rid of that. And now we have uh, marriage equality in 19 states. Brad and I were able to get married in California, which is our home. And uh, so many people now are enjoying the security of marriage equality. Uh, particularly, for example, that uh, Windsor case uh, where uh, Edith Windsor uh, lost her, uh, her wife of um, many, they've been to, together almost 40 years. And, when, and they, over the 40 years, they built their estate together. And yet, when her wife died, she was treated like a total stranger and taxed $320,000 on what she inherited from her. If her wife had been a man, there would have been no tax. I mean, it was a gross, outrageous example of, uh, of uh, uh, inequality. And so that changed. And so we have uh, marriage equality in 19 states where, we, where people can be married and feel secure. But it's a patchwork throughout the country. When I pledge allegiance to the flag, I pledge allegiance to the United States of America, USA. And we are determined to make that pledge come true. And I predict that within three years, next year the Supreme Court is going to hear all these uh, cases again. And uh, when that decision comes down, we will have equality throughout the states, United States of America where we can get married and enjoy the security of that marriage, the bond of marriage, throughout the country. And so science fiction is starting to reflect this uh, advance that has been made. And I'm proud of that. And uh, uh, do I really still have nine minutes more? Because it keeps going off and coming back. Is technology still with us? <laughs> or has it gone crazy? Because te technology can go crazy. You know, airplanes technology. And it can't land in a thunderstorm. And it makes me become a great artist. <laughs> well, it still says nine minutes. What? Uh, you have a message for me? This is okay? Okay. Uh, you're, not, you're all. Good afternoon. Uh, before I get to my question, I just want to let you know that I was educated in Oklahoma public schools and I did learn about the, uh, the about Manzanar and, and, and the in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, yes. Fantastic. There was one closer to uh, Oklahoma than Manzanar. Manzanar was in California. We were incarcerated in Arkansas. 
right near Oklahoma. Did you hear about Rower, Arkansas? Yes. Oh, you did? Good. But well, my, my question I'm impressed by how progressive uh, Oklahoma's uh, education system is. Having a large population of Native Americans, there's a uh, sensitivity to being trod upon by the system. My question for you is, uh, you know, everybody in the room is very familiar with your work with Star Trek, but what I want to hear you talk about a little bit was your role in the Green Berets with John Wayne. That was, to me, a fantastic experience, to work with uh, an American icon, a legend. Um, it was after the uh, first season of Star Trek, and we had a hiatus. And uh, my agent called and said, George, I've got something to fill your hiatus time. And I said, oh, okay, I'm game. And he said, how would you like working with John Wayne? I almost dropped the phone. <laughs> I'd grown up watching John Wayne, you know, Ford uh, Apache, all the great uh, John Wayne uh, movies. And uh, he said, you're gonna have an interview with him John Wayne himself. I, I thought, good lord, John Wayne, not, not a casting director. And uh, it's going to be at Warner Brothers Studios, where I was interviewed for my very first feature film, Ice House, that starred uh, Richard Burton and Robert Ryan. And uh, so I uh, drove out to Warner Brothers Studios, and I walked into this big office. Only John Wayne was there. And when I walked in, he squinted at me, just like he did in the Ford Apache, like he did at Ward Bond. You know, I felt like Ward Bond. There he was squinting at me. This was the Green Berets, and uh, I had a personal dilemma, because I was active in the peace movement during the Vietnam War, and at the same time, I, I wanted to work with John Wayne. I wanted to do the Green Berets. And I felt that I needed to be candid with him. I said, uh, Mr. Wayne, I gotta be honest with you. I uh, am on the opposite side of uh, politics with you. I am active in the peace movement and I know you are a strong supporter of the war. And he squinted at me again. I, I thought, well, this is it. <laughs> say thank you but no thank you but he said you know George I like your honesty and I'll tell you what I believe in free speech that's what democracy is all about it's free speech that uh, makes democracy what it should be and that's what we're fighting for and I appreciate your being honest with me and I will be honest with you. I want to make this film the best movie I, I can make. And I want the best actors to play these roles. And I'm looking for that best actor. And honesty is something that comes through in uh, a good actor's performance. But thank you very much. And, and you know, the big meeting ended. And I thought, I told that my agent back, and I said, well, I was forthright with him, and I told him I'm uh, with the peace movement, and uh, my agent said, George, <laughs> you know, I love you, 
but you're honest to a fault. You're not going to get that part then. <laughs> but a week later, he, he called and said, guess what? Believe it or not, he liked you. Your cast. I was over the moon. And working with John Wayne, you know, he's exactly, I don't consider John Wayne an actor. He is a fascinating personality. You know, he's the same John Wayne that you see on screen, off screen. He's a decent, fair-minded, strong-opinioned guy who believes in free speech and what we're fighting for with the military. He's played many military men. And I respect that. And I respect the fact that he is such an interesting personality. You know, that walk of his could be considered almost feminine, you know? <laughs> his iconic masculine walk, you know. He's an amazing guy, and he's an amazing film talent. Okay, um, so my question is... We got three minutes. Here. I'll make it fast. Um, you've overcome so much in your life. I mean, you talked about the internment camps, and obviously you were one of the first Asian Americans, probably the first Asian American on a popular television show. Um, and then being gay and in America at a time when it wasn't okay and you know, supporting the peace movement and everything that you've done. What is the biggest hurdle for you that you feel that you've overcome? Well, I do think it was the fact of the uh, imprisonment because they took everything from our family. My father used to say they took my business, they took our home, they took our freedom. But the one thing I'm not going to give them is my dignity. I will not grow before this government. And that pride in himself that my father exemplified, I think I've inherited. And that pride, and, but he, you know, he was also an American. And, and he taught me. At, I, at that time, I was too young to really understand what was happening. But when I was a teenager, I was inspired by the, uh, by the words of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, and I was active in the Civil Rights Movement. And I couldn't reconcile the idealism of America with what I knew to be my childhood imprisonment. And I couldn't find anything about it in our history books or in our civics books. So I had many long discussions with my father after dinner. And, uh, and they became very heated at times, but the, the core message that I got from my father was that our democracy is a people's democracy. And it could be as great as a people can be, but it's also as fallible as people are. The people made a mistake then. Our democracy is very vulnerable. And he said our democracy is dependent vitally dependent on good people who cherish the ideals of this system. All men are created equal, endowed with an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And particularly, one man, one vote, which is still being challenged today. But after those discussions, he took me downtown to the Adlai Stevenson for President headquarters. And he introduced me to how democracy works. And there we were amongst passionate people who believed in Governor Stevenson. 
his ideals, and they were shining ideals. And I got involved with that, and I was uh, really made aware of what it meant to be an American citizen in our American democracy. And uh, I've been active in the political right arena and in the social justice arena uh, ever since that time. And now it's blank, it's, it's not talking to me at all. Oh, thank you, time's up. <laughs> thank you all. Take the X-Men movie, the last one. I didn't have a cameo in that. You may think somebody forgot. No, it was planned for this reason. Somebody goes to see the X-Men, sits through the whole movie, and then says, gosh, I didn't see Stan's cameo. Maybe I blinked my eye, or maybe I reached down for some popcorn and wasn't looking. So what do they do? They run to the box office and buy another ticket. <laughs> nobody wants to miss my cameo, so X-Men made twice as much money as they expected to make by leaving us. So you see, it may seem to you it's just a cameo, but it's shrewd business on the part of the movie maker. Uh, what was the main inspiration for a lot of your, your contractors? 
You had to summarize that for me. You want to know my inspiration behind my favorite comic book character? Was that it? Yes. Well, my favorite character was Spider-Man. Let's make a series of them. And 
That's how Spidey was born.
great. And the best thing about it, after the show ended, we all gathered together. I'm always getting photographs for a photo, and the blonde girl kissed me on the cheek during the photo. writing to the movie uh, awards committee, whatever it is, I want you to write to the Big Bang Theory and say it's about time Stan was on there again. <laughs> so if, I'm not, if I don't get a call from them in a few weeks, I'll know you failed me, so watch yourself. Okay, um, I just wanted to say, Stan, I really good friend, and uh, I'm Spider-Man. I was in a magazine called Playboy. <laughs> Playgirl. 
It's funny, years ago, years ago, I, I know Hugh Hefner, and he said to me once, we ought to do a, a Playboy interview with you. And I said, fine, and this was years ago. And then I got a letter, a phone call rather, from his editor who said, Stan, we gave up the idea of doing the interview with you because you're not that well known. Your character, Spider-Man, is well known. He's better known than you are. So we're going to do an article about Spider-Man. Well, what the hell? But last year they did an article about me and Playboy. It took all this time for them to come to their senses. Oh. I grew up, uh, I grew up uh, reading Golden Age comic books and Silver Age comic books, and the artwork and the tones were different compared to the artwork in our day comic books. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that, on the differences between the two, and what do you think? Well, the artwork looks different now because they use computers for the most part to do the lettering and to do the coloring. And that gives, the, the computerized coloring gives the scripts a total, totally different look. Also, there are different editors now who tell the artist to draw in different ways. And every time you have new editors, you have a new look to the artwork. I loved the old artwork, which was a little more cartoony. The artwork today I love also because it's like paintings, it's like real illustration. So I love them both, I mean, but I will admit today's comic books do have a different look than the ones when I was doing them. And whether you prefer one or the other, that's just a matter of individual taste. Hey, see, I can be serious. I can get serious so I want to remind everybody that we have about five more minutes left, so we can see how many questions we can get. I'm just getting started. So, From the audience, but first, um, I'd like these guys to introduce themselves, and you know, I want to I hear what you guys are doing now. You guys excited to be in San Antonio? It's all about the fans. How's everybody having a good weekend out here, or what? Apple's family did a great job, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be here with you all. And uh, <laughs> hey, as the saying goes, no audience, no actors. So we're, we're here for you guys, and we appreciate you all being here. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So just to get it started a, a little bit, um, it's been, I was just talking to Elin, 30 years since that movie came out. Just wow. Out. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, that movie has, stands the test of time. It's an amazing movie, obviously, Weird Science. It's awesome to see you guys together again. Um, how, how did you get like that job? Were you just in the right place at the right time? Did you have aspirations to, to be an actor? How, how does that come together? Because you know, I'm always interested to hear the backstory, how you how you land such an important and awesome movie. Yeah, and I, I was in the right place at the right time. Wyatt, fix the mic. Wyatt, Wyatt please. Wyatt, <laughs> drop a wolf, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just consider myself very lucky. I, I was on the Universal lot for some reason when I auditioned first. Um, and I just think I messed up every single audition, so I still don't know how I managed to do it. Uh, auditioning for that movie was like making that movie. You're in the room with the funniest people in the world and you're trying to play it straight, and it's just very difficult. 
many great experiences. That's on, you had done that movie, The Good Life, right? Remember that one? The Wildlife. The Wildlife, yeah. sorry. Yeah. So Lon had made this other film that we were both kind of kids that were fortunate enough to be at Universal Studios making movies. And so John Hughes, um, we heard about a lot, and, and I'd already made a couple films with John. And uh, yeah, the audition process was fun. You know, I just want to acknowledge John Hughes because without him, we wouldn't be sitting here. He was such a great artist. Such a cool guy. He, he, to me, I just felt like he was the big older brother that, you know, had the party paid for. You know, we were like, what are we supposed to do? And he was just like, this guy loved to laugh. Do you remember how he would sit behind the camera? And this is in the days before everybody had screens on their, on their phones. And, and there was Video Village on the set, and he would literally sit by the camera, and he would just kind of egg us on. Yeah. He was such a great collaborator. He was never kind of uptight about changing the dialogue. If you had some funny ideas, he would always like welcome that. And uh, my personal feeling is that that was a great part of his genius. He was such a great writer. He had such heart. All his characters sort of start somewhere in the John Hughes films. They always wind up a little better off at the end of this film. So I think he provided great humor, great hope for people and audiences. And uh, I just want to acknowledge him because he was such a great guy to work for. And he put us here. So well, we'd love to open up any questions you guys have. Bill, anything you guys want to? Any, any, how many people put a bra on their head? <laughs> I, I signed a few bras this weekend. Don't be yeah. shy. I remember. It was grandma's bra, I remember. And it was way too big for my head. Because you thought, well, this is going to work. I'm yeah. just going to wear a bra on my head and everything's going to be good. <laughs> Anybody want to? Yeah, we have mics set up, so if yes. anybody wants step to step right up, up there. Questions. Yo, 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 for you guys. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, you can hear me good. So I just uh, want to know, yeah, I always love the movie. Uh, what was it like working with Kelly LeBrock, and uh, what was she wearing in the shower scene? I just wanted to know. It was hard? No, it was a difficult experience. And yet, but do you remember this day? She came on the set, I mean, everybody, all of us, all the guys, everybody, even the women on the set, we were just like, like, remember those old Seabreeze commercials where the woman walked by? It was like a, a breath of wind flew by her. She was an amazing person, but I remember having her. She had such a great sense of humor. And so she kind of put everybody at ease. So the day we did that shower scene, they had to make a big deal about, oh, there's no kids here, I'm sure. Well, there were pasties that they had to cut out and put on her breasts. And uh, so he and I were really standing in the shower with those faces on. <laughs> so she was wearing it. She was wearing underwear and those pasties. Yeah, yeah. But she had such a great sense of humor. She put everybody at ease. It was almost like, you know, she never acted like she was one of the most beautiful women in the world. She just had a great sense of humor. Yeah, I remember great. I, you know, that I, it's not the most fun to talk about, I guess, but what I remember most from that scene is that I didn't want her to see me looking down. You know what I mean? Like, I, all this time, I was like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, and so, uh, like, I don't, uh, afterwards, I was like, maybe I should have, like, snuck a look or something, but the whole time, I was just like, no, I How many people would have taken a look? Right here, sure would have. Boner con, anyway, next question. Sorry if there's kids here, mom and dad will explain it, but fine. Hey, guys, I'm Steven, um, loved you in the Breakfast Club, Anthony, uh, have you guys thought about doing any other collaboration since that movie? Well, I can say this. The last time I, I had the fortune to talk to John, it was in 1987, and he actually called me with John Candy on the phone. And they had become great friends. And it was something that he talked about at that time. And he really did want to do a, a sequel to the film. And, and now that I am middle-aged, it would have been very interesting to see <laughs> the Breakfast Club, you know, sort of in the, in the middle years or whatever. But he did have a vision to do that. And unfortunately, um, you know, he's not with us, he's up there. But uh, we appreciate that, thank you. 
right here. My turn, dude, my turn. Dude, where's Barry White in the house? There's a voice coming out of here. go. Oh, there he is. It's Marshall. What's up, buddy? Hey, what's up, brother? <laughs> uh, we heard a rumor that John Hughes approached you during a making of the Breakfast Club with the script for the Weird Science and kind of promote you or try to give that to you while you were filming that. Is that true? He did. And, yeah, while Weird Science, did he do the same thing? Did he happen to give you any, any new scripts or anything for the new project that never came to fruition or anything? Good question. Yeah. Um, he did. We were shooting the Breakfast Club. We shot all the films in Chicago because John was from the suburbs of Chicago. So one thing he taught me about writing, he said, you always have to write about what you know. Um, and he certainly, you know, stayed true to that. Um, but we were shooting The Breakfast Club, and one day he came up to me, Marshall, yeah, and he said, I, I wrote 30 pages of this other story last night. It's going to be you and another guy. I didn't know it was my future friend here. And, uh, and you're going to make a girl on the computer. And I'm like, this scrawny little 17-year-old kid, I'm like, really? That's awesome. We're doing another movie after this? I'm late for high school. This is great. So he was uh, totally cool about it. He really was that prolific. He was amazing. He had a room in his house. I was telling some of the fans here last night that we were visiting at our table. Um, it was all records. It was like a it was like a record store. He had 12 inches in that day, and he would write in that room. And so, you know, what's become a trend if you watch shows like Grey's Anatomy or all these other shows today, where they have music and it really kind of helps push the emotion of the episode or what have you. I think John really had a big hand in that because all those films we did as kids, he was always writing the scripts with soundtrack ideas and songs you know, kind of woven into it all. So he was really brilliant about. You know, he really had great taste in music. He would take us to go hear music. We would go to blues bars in Chicago, and he would take us to record stores. I mean, he was really, uh, definitely loved music. So anyway, thanks for that. Hi, um, thank y'all for being here in Weird Science. It's a great movie. I loved watching it growing up. And um, you mentioned John being a big brother. Well, you know, in Weird Science, you had a big brother, and it was Chet. And so, uh, I wanted to know, yeah, I wanted to know what it was like um, when the cameras weren't rolling, and uh, what was Bill Paxton like? Was there a lot? Of, did he try to keep the character going? And did he treat you on any way? Or was it like, you know, when the cameras were rolling? No, I, I remember him being the sweetest guy ever. Like I couldn't imagine someone nicer than him. You know, and he was very, you know, he was he was great with advice about acting, especially and like trying to um, help us or help me to um, walk around in your panties. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, whenever he said, "Come, I want to teach you about acting, but wear those underpants." Um, yeah, he was the nicest guy ever. I agree. I saw Bill a couple of years ago. I had dinner with him, and obviously he's doing great. He's had a great career. He's actually from Fort Worth, so a lot of those, the way he talks in that film, you know, he's a real Texas guy, you know, and uh, we, would, he, we would always joke around. You know, one time, you, you were doing that scene with Bill in the kitchen, and I was just hanging out watching that day, and it's where Alon comes out after she's worked the magic on us, and she comes out wearing her underwear, and uh, he came over to me, Bill, he's like, Trying to figure out what he talks the way he does in real life too. But I'm trying to figure out what to call a lawn in this scene. I go try dickweed. He goes, all right, great. I'm <laughs> so that's how you do this. So that scene where he starts making breakfast and he's in his underwear. He goes, try something else yourself, dickweed, or whatever he says. Anyway, so he had he was like like Alon saying he was a really funny guy. You know, he had a great sense of humor, but uh, he had a great spirit on set too. A set's just like a family or an office. You know, people either agree to get along and make it work or not. You know. Yeah. And we had great experiences on these movies because of John and just the vibe that he created for everybody. It was really cool. He wasn't yeah. doing the method. Remember? No, nothing too serious. Right? Mike, remember? Thank when you. Bill Paxton came up to us once. Remember, he said, I, "I just I had this bit part on a B sci-fi movie." Remember that? Oh, and, and we were like, uh, and he said, uh, "You guys want to come and see it with us?" And we were like, "All right." And he was totally underplaying it. 
And we went and sat down, and that was Terminator. He was, he was one of the punks in the beginning of Terminator. Yeah. And we were all just floored, like, oh my god. Yeah, no, he's done some great work. Yeah. He was in California with his family, you know, he's a great guy. Now, he was turned into a turd, right? I mean, that wasn't the whole thing. He was turned into a turd. I've always wanted clarification on it. Right. It was a monster or an actual turd. I remember talking to John Hughes about it. I think he was kind of Jabba the Hutt inspired, so he was kind of Jabba the Turd, yeah. <laughs> Big boy. The stuff oozing out of him. <laughs> Hi, ladies. Alrighty. Um, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. Oh, don't. Um, be. <laughs> I guess my question. Well, first of all, I remember the first time I watched The Breakfast Club, and my parents were like obsessed with it, but I thought it was going to be lame because of the name. But then I saw it, and it's like one of my favorite movies. And Weird Science, I just watched it the other night. Like, I'm in love with that movie. But um, my question is, uh, in the one scene where the girls like, uh, "What are y'all doing?" and you're like, "Why is in here taking a shit?" Did you slap him? Did you really slap him? <laughs> I can't remember. Did I want? Uh, I don't remember either. It's a love tap. He bet he's laughing too hard. Yeah, that's like my favorite scene. That was funny. Thank yeah, you. That's I think I right. okay. so funny. I just said that to someone backstage before we got on here. I'm like, you're dropping wolf bait. <laughs> I think what they did is they added the slap sound, buddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's my favorite scene. Yeah. But I love his reaction too. He's like, what? <laughs> that's great. All right. Thank you guys so much. You too, man. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, I'm Vaughn. And Hi, I just wanted you to know what a big impact you made for, you know, we kind of grew up together. And you said everything, even though I know there were lines that were written, everything you said is what we were thinking, your expressions and everything. But my favorite is, I know we're here for wind signs, but can you please say from 16 Candles, very hot, very hot. Tonight, tonight this happened. <laughs> Great memory. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Trying to go back to the 15-year-old middle of puberty voice. I, I still have that. Curious that your science to me is one of those that just has so many memorable scenes. Um, for you two, what would be your two favorite scenes that you guys did? In the shower scene or anything? <laughs> really, it was, uh, no, I wish you guys could, I mean, some of you I'm sure have met her at these cons, she's really got a great sense of humor. Um, for me, I love the stuff that we did at the mall with Downey and uh, Russell dumping like, slushes yeah, on our heads cool. or whatever, that was fun. Yeah. Driving the car through the parking lot, that was me, I almost killed some people. Uh, I loved all the stuff we did, all the blues bar scene was pretty fun too. John and I, I, we would all, the thing about John, like I keep saying, he loved to laugh. This guy was like such a great director. He was like never uptight about the script or saying this way or, you know, he was just great. So I would come to sit and I'd start imitating Richard Pryor records and I loved listening to because as a kid I loved George Carlin and Richard Pryor. And a lot of people at my age or older will remember when Richard Pryor used this character called Mudbow. Mud bowl, do old like you talk like this, grub and ill, get outside, get some sunshine on your face. You know, he was like, fuck hilarious, right? So again, this little skinny gringo coming up to the director, I'm like, John, this is what I was listening to, and he would like coax me on to imitate Richard Pryor. And that's where that scene came from. So he set it up for a long night to be in this bar and to be drunk and to, to you know to do all this. I gotta tell you a really funny quick story about fats. Remember fats? 
Remember the guy next to me and talk like this in a movie? Okay, this is a great story. Fats, at one point in his life in the 70s, was unfortunately homeless in downtown LA. They were shooting an episode of Beretta with Robert Blake. What happened was, they were finishing the day and the crew looked over and all of a sudden they saw some homeless dude who jumped on the camera truck and tried to run down the street in downtown LA trying to steal one of the cameras. So, so Fats helped them recover the camera. They got the camera back. I guess he foot chased or whatever. So that's how Fats got his career. The next thing you know, they put him on Beretta. So that's where that guy Fats and stuff like this came from. Because he saved the camera on the set of Beretta. Uh, yeah, yeah I had a lot of favorites. I, I, the whole thing was very fun. I liked uh, when there was a missile in my house. Uh, <laughs> That's how he said the line, too. That was great. Yeah. It was a missile? So that was great. I didn't, I, uh, so much that moving is true for me. I didn't have a learner's permit, so I didn't drive anything. So, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, I liked the missile scene. I liked the ball scene a lot. Um, and I sure liked uh, kissing Judy. That was nice. <laughs> the girl who played opposite me. Um, yeah. I can imagine that, it was like that, a dream come true. This guy had sports cars and girlfriends for us already when we were on set. It was like, this is amazing, you know? But he was like, he really did create this kind of magical environment on the set. He was totally, totally cool. Sir. Hi. Uh, kind of like Mr. Madison, I was wondering if I could get some clarification as well. Uh, was Vernon Wells supposed to be playing Wes from the Road Warriors? And what was that thing on that guy's face? That metal face guy. Where, where did that come from? Good question. Well, I can, I, I can remember that Vernon was cast because John loved the Road Warrior movie, so he was cast to be the exact guy from Road Warrior. Yeah. Um, the other guy, Metal Face, he was a stunt guy. I can't remember the film's yeah. name. But he, he was the guy who ripped it on the bike and he threw a donut in the house. Yeah. I love when uh, Michael Berryman goes like, I don't want to lose my teaching job. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He's like back now. <laughs> Thanks for that. I hope we answered your question. If anybody has any more questions. No. Oh, hey guys. I was wondering, how, what did it feel like when the missile was coming out of the floor? <laughs> well, what happens, they rigged it, they built it so it could retract, and they built it right in the middle of one of the stages that we were shooting on. So it, it did what it did in the film, it really could come through the floor, and I think what we did is we shot it, then they reversed the film, how'd they go? No, no, you, you shot know, it. You tell that story. You remember. No, no, you tell, remember. Take over, please. I, I, I don't over. remember. Look, take over. <laughs> I, I don't remember very well. Anyway, all I remember is the thing was like on a hydraulic thing or something, and they really didn't push through the floor, you know? And um, we messed up the shot. <laughs> that's it. And at the end, when everything goes back to normal, right, they reverse the film, and so it gets sucked back through the floor, yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't remember this very well. But I heard Russell tell it recently, and apparently, like, we had one shot to do this thing, because it was going to break the floor. And so we were all ready and all primed to do it. And it started going and somebody farted. <laughs> and it was Rustler, right? Or Downey? They were yeah, both it was, well in the potty humor at that yeah, point. It was probably Downey. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and so we all cracked up and we couldn't use that shot. So that we had to do something where it was going right. in reverse and we were like, you know, right. acting the way it was going to look where they played it back. No, that was it. You're right. Yeah. And John was pissed. <laughs> Who farted? Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Spider-Man.